Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Where are all those knuckleheads now who were saying that drafting Saquon Barkley was a mistake by the Giants? And where are those knuckleheads now who think the Giants might be better off without Odell Beckham Jr. on the team? We're going to talk Giants, we're going to talk Jets, and we'll talk NFL postseason. But how come... People don't want to talk about LeBron James, the king, and his racist and anti-Semitic comments. So like I said, listen up, folks, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks, let me begin by saying to each and every one of you a happy and healthy new year. Welcome to 2019. Nothing but good things for all of you and your families, okay? Hope uh, all what you want to happen comes true. Unfortunately, for one um, Todd Bowles, he's uh, unemployed right now. And I'm sure he's going to be up or at least get an interview for some jobs. But listen, uh, I've said it many times, you've heard... Not just me say it, you've heard people say it over and over and over again since time began. In the world of sports, you are hired to be fired. That is, that comes with the coaching and managing business. It's in all sports. Very, very, very rarely does it end with hugs and kisses and makeups. Or I should say, you get the makeups come later on. But many, and you know what, that goes in in for the athletes as well. Unless you're leaving on your own terms, is always eh, not a good feeling. And then sometimes there's you know makeup. The makeup comes later on. But the situation, listen. I understand it's part of the business, but it's a part of the business that I do not like. I've been in this sports business for 35 years now, and it always sucks. I mean, very, very rarely do I come out and say, I want this guy fired. Because it's somebody's livelihood. It's what they make a living of. And I know changes have to come. 
I mean, Todd Bowles, Jets, had three losing seasons. And he wasn't given the best to work with. But a change was in order. GM Mike McCagnan and along with uh, um, Chris Johnson, the owner, or if I call him acting owner in charge for his brother, Woody Johnson. Either way, uh, the change was coming. Now, McCagnan came in at the same time. I almost, I think it, was, it might have been the same day as uh, Todd Bowles to the Jets, but it is what it is. He gets saved. Much the same way um, Jerry Reese, if you recall, got saved when uh, Tom Coughlin was let go. Jerry stayed on for the other year till you know, uh, I should say an extra year and a half till his demise came with uh, Ben McAdoo. But having said that, you know, the reason I don't, it's disturbing to me because especially in the football business, when, when a head coach goes and a new one comes in, chances are they want, he wants his own people. And if he's not allowed to have his own people, that's a problem in itself because now you're shoving people down somebody's throat. All right? Pat Sherman came into the Giants. He got in his own people. I'm sure there was discussions, but Dave Gettleman hired him. And Pat Shermer, you know, I'm, I'm sure they had lengthy discussions on who and what to bring in, but the coach has to like that. So when Todd Bowles goes, there's roughly 20 assistants. That means now as we enter the new year, there are, there's not just Todd Bowles. There are 20 assistants, all making different incomes. Certainly not Todd Bowles. Uh, a multi-million dollar contract. And they got to now start scouring and to figure out where their next, I'm not going to say the next meal is coming from, but where the next paycheck is going to be coming from. You know, most assistants, I believe, work on one-year deals. I know Todd, um, his deal, he got an extension a year ago, I believe. So he's good through 2020. So he's going to be collecting a nice paycheck, you know, for the next two years. Good for him. But, you know, when you got 20 assistants, you got 20 men involved there, you got 20 wives or girlfriends and 20 families, it's tough. But a change need to, needed to be made. Now, I will say this. The guy coming in, who's whoever that coach is going to be, and I have no idea. I have no idea. But whoever that coach is going to, I don't even want to speculate on that. I know Mike McCarthy, the former coach of the Packers, who was fired during this season, uh, his name has been mentioned certainly at least to be interviewed, which, you know, that's the prudent thing to do. But um, I, I don't know who's coming in, but I do know this. The guy coming in is not coming into a bad situation. He's coming into a, a situation where Giants got themselves a good young quarterback and the fact that Sam Darnold played this year and played under fire and 
got his feet wet more than a little bit. That certainly helps. Besides, the guy is a very good talent. Okay? I mean, he looks like he certainly is a franchise quarterback. So the new coach gets him. He also gets the number three pick in the draft. So he's getting that. And there's some, you know, there's some good pieces there. So it's not an awful, awful situation. There's also a ton of cap space so they can do some business in the free agent market. So it's not the worst situation for Todd Bowles. Uh, For Todd Bowles' predecessor, I should say. But again, you know, a decent guy, tried. That's just the nature of the business. I never like when somebody gets whacked. In my career, I one time said somebody should be fired. One time. It was for the man who succeeded, uh, who followed Bill Parcells, Ray Hanley. I just thought he was out of his league. He lacked communications with with everybody, players, fans, media, everybody. Wasn't a good coach. He tried to be something that he wasn't. He tried to be cute like Parcells. That was the only guy I ever asked to have uh, him whacked. So Todd Bowles is out of work. Giants, uh, Jets, I should say, finished at um, four and twelve. Very disappointing. And now they move on in a new direction. As for the Giants, you know, Pat Shermer came in along with the GM Dave Gettleman, and man, did they change that roster! When the season ended yesterday, I believe there were only 12 names remaining from the 53-man group the year before. 12. Man, that's, think about that. 12. So what the Giants were able to do, I mean, folks, if you want to look at the glass half full, You can look at it half full. If you want to look at the glass half empty, that's on you. But the Giants did a few things here. They got younger. Much, much younger. Yeah, remember they traded Eli Apple during the year. Yeah, they traded uh, Snacks Harrison. And while a lot of people were saying, yeah, but they missed Snacks during the year. And I'll tell you what, I miss Snacks. And there were instances where they needed him to stop the run. But Snacks wasn't going to be in their plans. And he was one of my favorite Giants. Snacks wasn't going to be in their plans next year. And at the time, they that's when they were, were really spinning their wheels on their way to 1-7 and seven for the first half of the season. Okay? So, you trade Snacks. And... And Eli Apple, and you got some draft picks, and they made other moves, and they got a bunch of draft picks coming up in the draft. But they got a lot younger, and a lot of those young guys that, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson in his second year, and B.J. Hill, you can see what happens with R.J. Uh, McIntosh. So they got guys that got experience, and that's what they needed to get. 
and while they also got themselves younger. They also got somebody else. They also got somebody by the name of Saquon Barkley. Folks, you remember and I remember. Giants had to draft a quarterback. They should not draft a running back. They should not draft Saquon Barkley with the number two pick overall. But they did. And then it got quiet for a while because a lot of people like Saquon. Media people like Saquon. I mean, the kid is just magic. I, I've said this before. You've, you've heard me say it several times. I have not seen a rookie. I've not seen a first-year athlete ever in this town. Not anyone, and that includes the captain himself, Derek Jeter, with the Yankees. I have never seen any young guy come into town with the fanfare and having his feet planted so squarely on the ground as Saquon Barkley. So polished in dealing with fans, with media, with any and everything, and displaying leadership skills at such a young age. The whole deal. But then the Giants went and lost the first game in the season to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then the Giants lost their second game of the season, a Sunday night affair in Dallas to the Cowboys. And after that game, it was all, oh, they made the mistake. They drafted the wrong guy. Uh, they needed to draft a quarterback. This franchise, no, the giant mistake. Where are all those knuckleheads now, I ask you? How good is Saquon Barkley? He is a generational player. He's not a good player. He's a great player. He is a superstar player. He becomes the third player in NFL history to gain 2,000 yards from scrimmage as a rookie. Joining the likes of Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson and Edgerin James. Pretty good company. Saquon Barkley, who rushed for over 1,300 yards. Saquon Barkley. Who caught 91 passes. I mean, where are all those knuckleheads now? The comments are so silly. Words can't describe it. I I mean, I remember when he was drafted, reading uh, in the Daily News. Oh, Giants are going to rue the day. That they they took Barkley instead of Sam Donald. Don't hold your breath on the Giants ever regretting the day that they chose Saquon Barkley. Guy is not a good player. He is an off-the-charts great player, as I said, generational. The likes of Saquon Barkley don't come around very often. Now, don't get me wrong. You heard me say at the top. Sam Donald's a good player. I believe he's a franchise quarterback. And the Giants 
do need to be looking for the franchise quarterback to follow Eli Manning. But I'll say this. As good as I think Sam Donald will be at the quarterback position, and I think he will he will be very good. He won't be as good as Barkley will be at the running back position. Because I believe Barkley uh, is from another stratosphere. Again, I don't want to put the Maloik and the jinx on him. and But, you know, barring, barring injury, this kid is going to the Hall of Fame. So I like to know where all those knuckleheads are now. And speaking of where knuckleheads are, I'm still hearing about knuckleheads talking about, ah, the Giants might be better off without Odell Beckham Jr. I saw a tweet just the other day from Mike Francesa saying, I like the way the Giants act and play without Odell Beckham. Well, they don't do a very good job of winning without Odell Beckham. He he was out for the last four games. They lost the last two. Odell Beckham Jr. makes a significant difference. A significant difference. You know, for whatever reason, I've said this many times before, Odell Beckham Jr. is the lightning rod. I mean, he can't do anything right. Like people think he's dogging it because he missed the last four games. He's got a bad quad. I've watched him work. He doesn't like being out any more than the fans do, the coaching staff, anybody. It is what it is. But really, to think that the Giants would be better off without Odell Beckham Jr., I mean, it's just crazy. Just absolutely nuts. And what I said, forgive me, I made a faux pas. I said the Giants lost the last two games. No, they they lost the last three games without Odell Beckham Jr. So don't tell me that the Giants are a better team without Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. makes a significant difference. He makes a significant difference for the guy I just said is a budding superstar, if not already, Saquon Barkley. When Saquon, uh, when uh, when Odell is in there, it makes it a lot easier for Saquon to run. And when Saquon is in there, it opens up the passing game, the left hand, you know, the 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 wrist bones connected to the uh, elbow, the elbows connected to this. C- come on, stop it! To say that the Giants would be better off without Old Bell, Odell Beckham Jr. is like saying you're better off without water. I probably made a goof right there because, as we know, Odell Beckham Jr. says he doesn't like drinking water. 
But you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, come on. It's like saying you, you don't like food. Doesn't make sense. But I guess when teams have the bad seasons that they've had, um, these things happen. So people throw shit up against the wall to see if it sticks. And then I'm reading stuff uh, past few days. You know, it's not fair to to question whether Odell's going to be back here next year. Well, you know, the, listen, the Giants looked into uh, discuss trading him in the offseason. Giants didn't discuss trading him in the offseason. If somebody comes to the Giants and say, hey, uh, is, we, we were interested in old Dell Beckham Jr. Okay, make me an offer. That's not a discussion. That's doing, that's listening to any and everybody that comes your way. That's what you're supposed to do. That's not a discussion. A discussion of a trade is discussing discussing parameters. It's not a discussion. It's just that that's just silliness. Where's Odell Beckham Jr. going? You have one of the best. Why the hell would you trade a top five receiver? who will, would complement a top-five running back. And those guys might be higher than that, but the reason I say top-five because, quite frankly, in the top-five in any of those positions, you can flip-flop. It doesn't matter. But th- think about it. That's what the Giants would want to do? Doesn't make sense. And And then, folks, we have the Eli Manning situation. You heard Pat Shermer say this week, I expect Eli to be back. Now, I don't think, maybe I'm naive because I'm a fan of Eli. And I, I certainly know Eli is not the Eli of old, but he's still pretty damn good. And if you watched him in the finale against the Cowboys, he threw two darts Long darts on a dime to Cody Latimer. One for a touchdown, one for a long gainer. He can still, you got to, you know, he needs protection. He also needs other tools, and he's got that. Now, I clearly think they're going to be drafting a quarterback because I do not believe that the quarterback of the future is on the Giants right now in Kyle Loletta. Or uh, Alex Tanny. Yeah, they drafted last year. Uh, drafted Lolette in the fourth round. At a, a small school, Richmond. They thought it was good value. And that's what you look at. Especially at the quarterback position. You're going to look at a situation. But, you, you know, just because they drafted him doesn't mean he's anointed as the heir apparent. And that's what everybody did. That's what everybody did. And the dumb questions that Eli Manning had to stand for during that last week of the season was ridiculous. Uh, do you feel like this is your last game? What, what, what did you think he was going to say? And this is coming from members of the media. 
Uh, are you willing to discuss, uh, have you discussed with them about maybe restructuring your contract, you know, open up cap space? Yeah, Eli is going to tell us that, us in the media. You know why I wouldn't ask Eli that? Because he's not going to tell me. Because that would be negotiating in public. You don't do that. But I want to be the guy to ask the question. That's the mentality. Or gal. Then yesterday, Eli comes to the game, and he's got uh, apparently, not apparently, he's got his uh, three daughters posing with him on the field, adorable, each wearing a number 10. You know, when they, you know, at the, you know, prior to the game, the Cowboys finale. And you should have heard the rumblings on the field and in the press box, especially, oh, do, do, is there something we don't know? Does Is Eli doing this because it, it, he thinks it's his last game? I went to the usually I don't even stay for the post game press conference uh with Eli. Usually what I do, I go in to hear Pat Shermer speak and then I would go right into the locker room to hear what everybody else is saying. Obviously yesterday I wanted to stay and wait for Eli. I'm waiting for people since I mean it was buzzing, like the buzzing was in your ears if you were in the press box about, oh, Eli and his daughters were on. Not one person who was buzzing asked him the question. So I asked him the question. I said, Eli, you know, there was a lot of rumblings about you on a field with your daughters, uh, that there was some significance to it. What do you say to that? He says, you know what they say? Happy wife, happy life. He giggled, and I said, I giggled as well and said, yeah, I know that very well. That saying, that was the end of it. Don't you think if this was the end for Eli, that he, if he knew it was the end, don't you think his father and brother, his parents would be there? But that's, and you know, Ernie, of course, he taught me that a long time ago, the former GM of the Giants. Quarterback's always a lightning rod. And in this town, Eli is the lightning rod and then some. But, but Eli showed me that he you keep him upright. And you saw the change in the second half of the season. Team went 1-7 and seven the first half, 4-4 four and four the second half. And believe me, there were a lot of games. Uh, uh, how many games did they lose? Like, like uh, Killer losses. Yesterday's loss was a killer loss. Last week's loss was a killer loss. You know, the Colt loss was a killer loss. Certainly the Carolina loss was a killer loss. They lost a lot of close games. Now, the coach has said, Pat Shermer said, and the players have said all season long, we got to learn how to finish. And that is something that uh, they have failed to do. Well, I shouldn't say they have failed to do. They they have failed too many times in finishing. 
But I think they've learned a lot about it this year, especially the younger players. And that's going to make them better. You know, people like to question. I I mean, I I was getting calls and comments after uh, the Giants lost to Dallas, you you know, blaming Eli because he's not mobile. What were you watching? Defense needs to learn to make stops. And the offense also at the end of the game a lot of times needs to learn to make the play when they need to make the play to keep something going. Giants, if the Giants had a major failure this year, it was the ability to finish plays. That that was uh, I, I, not I shouldn't say the ability to finish plays, the abilities to finish games. I guess you can say plays as well, because if you finish plays properly, then you're able to finish the games. But that's, you know, they will get better from this season. I think they got the right GM. I think they got the right head coach. Uh, Shermer is comfortable in his own skin. Uh, He's feisty. Uh, but I like that because, you know, he doesn't run scared. He doesn't walk into a session with the media and um, you know, his knees don't buckle from being a scaredy cat. And that's good because he's his own man. And he's not afraid of criticism and he's not afraid to go at it if he has to. But um, listen, it was a one and seven sucks. That first half of the season, I mean, I didn't expect the Giants to uh, get out of the gate at seven and seven. Uh, listen, four and four would have been wonderful, but I mean, nobody saw one and seven coming. But it came. But they completely changed the roster, and they also changed the character and culture of the team. Because I was in that locker room last year every day as well as I was this past year. And at 3-13 and 13 every day, that was a fractured locker room all the time. Guys were in factions. Guys were miserable. It sucked. Not this year. And through the 1-7, and seven, they, didn't, they weren't often disbanded in different groups. They were together. And Saquon himself said yesterday when they, he was asked, what was the biggest? I keep saying yesterday because that's when I'm taping this. Uh, you know, I was taping on Mondays. That when Saquon was asked, what um, what was the difference in the second half? And he said, well, we learned, you know, we're playing for each other. And that really was the theme. And that, that's the way they played. I'll, I'll tell you what. Going into the finale against the Cowboys, you would have thought they were a playoff team. And I'm not talking a playoff team cocky and cavalier, but it was a pumped-up bunch. There was never a game when they quit. And they were, you know, when you lose 17-0, that sucks. They had two really lousy games. Uh, the Eagles game, the first one, and uh, this one. Uh, excuse me, the uh, 17-0 loss. 
Um, I'm just drawing a blank. Who did they lose 17 nothing to? Just drawing a blank. They looked to the, to the Titans. That was a bad one. But, I, I mean, just look at some of these scores. Lose to the Eagles 25-22. I mean, 28-27 to the Colts. 36-35 to the Cowboys. They lose on that late field goal. Are you kidding me? To the Panthers. I mean, they lost a lot of tough games. But they will get better for it. And hopefully they'll be in a position next year to where um, 12 teams are in a position this year. And that is in the postseason. As Bill Parcells always would say, you just got to get into the tournament. Nobody knows that better than Eli and um, Tom Coughlin and the Giants who are on those two Super Bowl championship teams. Once the Giants were division winners, once they were wild cards, both times they played in the wild card games, which are coming up this weekend, they got into the tournament and were road warriors and went on to win it all. But having said that, I got to tell you, I look at the AFC and the NFC, and I'm going to tell you this, folks. In my mind, and I've never felt this way before, I feel it's wide open. Nothing would shock me. Nothing would shock me. KC is the number one seed, Kansas City, in the AFC. They deserve to be. New England is the number two seed. Houston, number three. Baltimore, four. Chargers, five. Indy, six. Any one of those teams can beat each other. Anyone. Any, really, anyone. You know, Baltimore escaped. I mean, I thought they were going to blow blow the last game of the season because the Cleveland Browns kept coming kept coming back at them. But fortunately, they held off, and otherwise, it would have been uh, the Steelers. But having said that, um, Baltimore's got a good defense. And this Lamar Jackson at quarterbacks, I'm I'm not saying he's he's a great quarterback, but I did say this. Well, he was drafted what like 32nd. Let me tell you something. At the time, I thought I said he was the steal of the draft. Now that didn't mean he was the best quarterback in the draft, but at that there was value at that pick. But uh, I mean, we know Mahomes with Kansas City. Nobody's got to tell anybody about Tom Brady. Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson with the Chargers, Phillip Rivers, and believe you me, Andrew Luck is all the way back with Indy, all the way back. All right? So to me, that's wide open. Wide open. Those games next week... Uh, those wild card games next week. Well, well first, let me go to the, the, the NFC. New Orleans, the Rams, Chicago, Dallas, Seattle, Philly. I'll, I'll tell you what, Philly's a six seed. They got in yesterday. They got, a, they got in because the, the Bears did them a favor. 
The Bears beat Minnesota in Minnesota. So <laughs> what do they get for the favor? They get to travel to Chicago to play the Bears. Philly, the Eagles are defending Super Bowl champs. You got to dethrone the champs. I, I mean, their, their secondary kind of sucks. But you know what? They're catching fire. They got hot, hot at the right time. And it's Nick Foles. I don't know. He's magic coming in as a, as, as a super sub at quarterback. So to me, really, I, I view this. The NFL's got a good tournament coming up because I think it's a very. Uh, it's open. You know, sometimes you look and you say, well, this is a clear cut favorite to w- win it all. Like, I know New Orleans, the Saints have been made the number one choice. I get that. But this is no rock solid deal. And your games next week, man, they're good games. On Saturday, uh, you got Indy and Houston and Seattle at Dallas. Those are good games. <laughs> and the Chargers, Baltimore on Sunday and Philly, Chicago. I There's not one of those games where I say this one or that one should win. I just don't feel that way. I really believe. I mean, those wild card games, the four of them, to me, are wide, wide open. All right. One other thing I want to discuss, and I brought it up at length here last week. I brought up the LeBron James comments. Now, I made those comments, as I said to you folks, I taped my shows on Monday. So I taped it, not this past Monday, the previous Monday, which was Christmas Eve. I taped my podcast on that day. And I was talking about LeBron James, two idiotic comments. One was when on his dopey show, The Shop on HBO, he commented on... um, you know, the um, NFL owners, a bunch of old white men with slave mentality. Yeah, that makes sense. With slave mentality. And then uh, he followed that up with going on Instagram. And, you know, quoting uh, this song, ASMR by hip-hop artist 21 Savage, who I have no idea who it is. Uh, But he was quoting this. We've been getting that Jewish money. Everything is kosher. And then following that, he gave a half-ass apology. Apologies for sure if I offended anyone. Uh, I actually thought it was a compliment. And obviously it wasn't through the lens of a lot of people. My apologies. It definitely was not the intent, obviously, to hurt anybody. And as I said to you last week here, that's bullshit. He is far too smart, LeBron James is. He's a smart person. He's smart in business, deals with business people. So I took him to task. But then I waited to see who else, because I assumed he was going to get beat beaten up nobody did anything about it i read maybe one article 
the following uh, day. And this past Sunday, Phil Mushnick in the New York Post ripped him apart. And it was right on the money on every point. Ripped him apart. Saying a lot of similar stuff to what I said last week. Like, for example, you know, slaves couldn't quit if they didn't like the situation. Players can quit. Okay? And and when you make that remark about slaves and, and you're a multi-million dollar player, you know who you're insulting the most? You're insulting the people, unfortunately, who were slaves. Makes you a dumbass. And LeBron didn't know the stereotype of money and Jews. What's he been living with his head in the sand or up his ass? It's one of the two. And it's really bothersome to me that nobody takes him to task. Nobody. I, I Listen, he, he played Christmas Day. National t- nationally televised game. Where's Where's the talk? The NBA. Adam Silver. Owners. He wants to know about, you know, I wonder how LeBron feels about the Jewish money he earned from Daniel Gilbert, owner of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. I wonder how he feels about the money he earned from uh, Mickey Arison, owner of the Miami Heat. Call it Jew money, because those two gentlemen are Jewish. Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, is Jewish. But what it goes to show you that who you are, you can skate. Because let me tell you, if it, were, if it was somebody else, somebody else would have been taken to task. Taken to task. The uproar, they, they made an uproar last year over um, when Phil Jackson made the comment of LeBron James and his posse. Remember that? Oh, it was offensive and stereotyping. You know, I'm I'm paraphrasing. Oh, okay. And people made more of an issue out of that than these comments. I don't get it. I I I I mean LeBron James has like 45 million followers on Instagram. And another 41, what I, what I say, 45 million followers on Instagram and another 41 million in change on Twitter. His words have influence. When you have influence, you really need to think about what you say. Nobody has taken him to task on that. Nobody. I'm dumbfounded by it. I mean, I was so glad that I had the opportunity to mention it a week ago because I said, okay, at least I can be a little ahead of the pack because there's going to be an onslaught on him and I didn't want to come across as a follower. Nobody. The only person, really, I mean, I saw read one thing and then fortunately 
Phil Mustard got a post, you know, took him to task this past Sunday in the New York Post. Shame on everybody. Shame on the NBA. And, and listen, what what a great business that is. And, you know, Adam Silver. You know what? They, he ought to speak to Adam Silver. Or maybe Adam Silver ought to speak to LeBron about Jewish money. And remember before Adam Silver, there was Commissioner David Stern, also about Jewish money. And and he's going to give a half-ass excuse. I didn't realize. I didn't. I didn't think. I thought I was making a comp. You thought it was a compliment? Worse than saying I didn't realize it was an insult. I thought you would be. I thought I was being complimentary. Come on, LeBron. Who are you talking to? Now you're trying to tell people you, you're talking. You are the king. So now you think all your subjects are idiots. Bullshit. And shame on any and everybody who has not taken him to task, who is in a position to do so. You know, where, where is some members of the black community? Where's Al Sharpton? We can't be talking like that. Where is that? Where's, where's the leadership now? Huh? Pretty embarrassing, if you ask me. It's embarrassing and shameful. This dumbfounds me altogether. But it is what it is. You know, it just goes to show you this politically correct world is so freaking incorrect. It's sickening. We live in a double standard. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's the way it is. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. Not anytime soon. But right now, folks, that is a wrap on this one. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. And now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on this podcast. You can let me know on Twitter at Russ Salzberg or on Facebook. You can also pay a visit to my website. Very simple. It's at RussSalzberg.com. My thanks, as always, to the big man with me, Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano. My thanks to Tim Einico, my very fine OG Podcast Network producer, to Greg Schwab, 77 WABC Program Director, Matt Dahl, 77 WABC Assistant Program Director, uh, Chris Rutsky, head of the OG Podcast Network, and last but certainly, certainly not least, you guys and gals out there, because without you guys and gals, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. Forget about it. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salford, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, farewell. And make sure all of you, you and your families, have a happy and healthy new year. See you next week. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley High Performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.